What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 16. My name is Zach. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ben Fisher. What's up, Ben? Oh, you know, not much. Just surviving the, the plague as usual, right? Yeah, it's kind of become the typical kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, speaking of, of the plague, uh, there was that whole secret layer nonsense with The Walking Dead this week. Did you yeah. see any of that? Yeah, how could I not? Yeah, right. So in my last like little intro prediction, I, I said that Wizards was going to make some kind of other announcement and during the week about bans or something like that. And it turns out I wasn't wrong. They kind of made an announcement about legality and things like that. But it was just a little different than what I had expected. I had predicted that there are going to be more bans to affect standard. But it turns out standard is actually kind of playable right now, if you don't mind on math. Yeah, I haven't really paid much attention to it, but the grand finals are coming up this weekend. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Of course, before we get started, we got to plug our sponsor. MTG Arena Zone is your top destination for all Magic the Gathering arena articles, community decks, news, and more. They have plenty of content for constructed and limited players alike, from tar- top archetypes to theory articles and much more. So head over there if you need your fix of both limited and constructed content. Now, I just want to mention the main topic today before we get any further, because I've been excited for this kind of episode for ages. This is Flavortown Zendikar. So I wanted to do a show like this. This is one of the first topics that I told Zach I thought would be cool to cover. Yeah, this episode is four-ish months in the making now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've always wanted to look a little deeper into some of the cool flavor, but also how that plays out mechanically, why these cards are good and why the flavor makes them memorable and how good they are. What, What we think about cool cards in the set and how they were designed and why that makes them good in draft and limited specifically. Before we get into that, a couple of housekeeping items. We, uh, of course, want to plug Discord. Thanks to everybody over there who's been keeping things going and talking. We usually have about a dozen people on at any given time, and it's always growing. We're getting more and more each day. And the discussions there have been great. We've had some really cool decks to look at, um, some really awesome discussions around pick orders and things like that. We've had some folks adding uh, more stuff to our community content page or a, a channel in there. So... If that's your thing, you're interested in finding a community of like-minded folks to just discuss limited and and even just life sometimes, we've we've had a lot of that, uh, just jump on in. It's completely free, and the link for that will be in the episode description as well as uh, our Twitter page over at mm-hmm. DraftChaffPod. And also... It's the number one place to find out when we're actually, you know, making magic content ourselves. So this is coming out on Friday. So tomorrow, Saturday, depending on where you're listening, at around 1 p.m. EST, we're going to be trying to stream some stuff on Twitch. Maybe some some drafts here and there and get some Zendikar Rising going. Should be a fun time. And you can join our Patreon. No, sorry, not our Patreon. Our Discord for all the information about that. But, uh, but that was a bit of a slip there. Why don't you tell us about what's going on on the Patreon? Yeah, so real quick, also just to touch on that stream, we did a stream last week. It was a, a lot of fun. We had a few folks from the Discord in there. Um, mm-hmm. That was on the Discord, but this time we're going to be streaming on Twitch directly. And I, yeah. I was thinking, Ben, if we if we have the time at the end, we should wrap up that stream, maybe taking a look at some of our draft draft cube, getting a little bit more done with that. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. I, I had a great time streaming last week. All the suggestions steered us in the right direction. Got a, a few uh, trophy or two in there. You know, it was a good time. Well, uh, as Ben kind of alluded to earlier, we have a huge update for the Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We completely revamped all of the tiers there, and we've made a few changes. Of course, one of our tiers, in fact, every single tier, from tier one up through tier four, which we have 
actually five tiers now. Every single tier gets a shout out and we have our first patron. This is wild. Ben and I have been giddy about this, but thank you to <laughs> Micah, AKA the Wolverine over in our discord. So glad to have you uh, supporting us and thank you for appreciating our content enough to do that. Uh, that's, that's really awesome. Putting your money where your, uh, I guess your heart and mind is, is really, really cool. And we, we can't thank you enough. Yeah, seriously. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. So a little bit further in depth on the, um, the actual, uh, tier changes, we named them all. So they're all named after kind of draft half cards, which is fun. And we shifted the costs around a little bit. So now if you, if you looked at the, the Patreon in the past, uh, it used to be on a per episode basis. We've changed that to a per month basis. All the tiers have shifted in, in costs because of that. So our first tier is at $2 a month. Our second tier is at $4 a month. Our third is at six and our tier four is at $10 a month. And then we have a special founder tier, which only has three spots. Well, two spots open now that that Wolverine jumped in on that. Uh, mm-hmm. And that gives a few extra things that some of the other tiers don't get. So at tier one, you'll get a discord role, a special for that tier, the shout out on the episode and access to the Patreon feed. Tier two gets you all of those things as well as the show notes and a few other extras that we've been throwing into the Patreon feed as well. Tier three gets you a sticker. That's right. Draft half stickers are coming to a tier I'm three near so you. I'm so excited. I'm going to stick those stickers on literally everything. Well, you better sign up for our Patreon. Do I have to? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, and then you also get access to, on tier three, you get access to an uncut version of the show with some pre and post show nonsense, uh, as well as anything that might happen in between bloopers and such. Mm-hmm. Tier four gets you all of those things, as well as what we are sort of right now calling Ben's Bulk Building Bonanza. Ben, why don't you kind of describe what this is? All right. This is something else I've been really excited about for a long time. One of my favorite things to do in Magic is to just make fun little decks and just play them casually with my friends, like kitchen table magic, as you call it. Like the magic, the way Garfield really intended it. And I used to sit at home and just you know, if I had some free time, or actually, I used to do this during class a lot. Don't tell my professors. But I would pull up, uh, gather, and look through old sets and just make decks based around themes and cards that I liked. So if I had a favorite card, I would just make like a little five, ten dollar deck and and just make something for it and order it and then play it with my friends. And I kind of want to do that again because I really enjoy it. So if you sub to this tier for two months, uh, this is the ten dollar tier. I will just sit up, build you a deck. <laughs> just based on your favorite draft shaft card. I want you to tell me what well, we'll DM about it. You'll tell me your favorite draft shaft card. I will build a deck around it and I will mail it to you. That's it. <laughs> I just think it's a fun thing that you can do. Let's me see what kind of cards that the listeners love. And I love deck building. So uh, it's one of my strengths in magic. I think it'd be a fun time and it's just a deck you can have. It's a little collectible. You can also use it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on the receiving end of some of these decks. Uh, from Ben and just like talked through them with him in the past and it's it's a lot of fun so if that's mm-hmm. your thing and you're interested in that plus all the other stuff that you can get that's the top tier go ahead and sign up for that there's also the founder tier like I said there are only two spots left in that we're keeping that very very limited but the founder tier gets a special founder discord role the shout out access to the patreon feed it also gets a draft half sticker and one hour of live coaching with Ben and I or either of us depending on how scheduling works out every month and that the founder tier is only five dollars a month i don't think i mentioned that so that being yeah. said there's only two spots left uh get them while they're hot i guess yeah exactly so 
uh, that's it. That's that's our shilling for this episode. I just wanted to let you know it was a big rework on the Patreon. So we spent like an hour and a half going through and, and fixing it all because we we actually really want this to be for you all, right? Like the reason that we started this is so we could talk about magic with anyone that wants to take the time to listen, which again we awfully appreciate. So if there's things that you want us to do for our, our Patreon, things you want to see, things that other uh, podcasts that you like do that we're not doing yet, just tell us. Like, don't we have a, a suggestion section in, in our uh, in our Discord? We must, right? We do. We have a content suggestion uh, channel. So yeah, just jump in the Discord if you're interested in giving us feedback on the episodes, on the Patreon, on the Discord server itself. Just just jump in. It's a great place to be. So moving on, you know what I've got here? Can you can you hear that? Ooh, is that I coming through? I hear it. This is a physical pack of Zendikar Rising, and we're gonna crack it today for our crack a draft type thing. It's been so long since I've cracked a physical pack. I don't count that pack from last week. That wasn't a real magic pack. This is this is where it's at. Also, so, I uh, totally need that wish call talisman. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can have it. It's all yours. Let's go through it. I'm going to move kind of quickly through this because we have some other things to get through. We start off with a negate. Nope. No, <laughs> no thanks. Uh, have you played this in draft yet? I have not, but I've only been really playing premier draft, which is best of one, and negate's more or less a sideboard card. We got a practice tactics. This is moderately useful. The cool thing about this is that, well, first of all, it's one white for an instant. Choose target attacking or blocking creature, deals damage to twice the number of creatures in your party. This can be one white deal six, deal eight. I've actually had this deal eight before. Have you? I haven't played the card. You're not missing that much. It's definitely situational. We've seen spells like this before. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Next up is Might of Marasa. Uh, but we're going to skip that in favor of the next card, which is my current pick, Blood Beckoning. I love oh, yeah. Blood Beckoning. It's so great in this format. Best exactly what you want to be doing. No, I guess I guess Deadly Alliance is still above it, but it, it's in my top five. I honestly have been picking it over a lot of the other removal spells. I think I, I probably, unless you're in Black White, I take this over like the Swarm. I, I, I'm really high on Blood Beckoning right now. It might yeah, go down later, too. but I've found it to be a great way to close out the late game. This is the way you want to spend your mana in the late game, to get back some of your other threats your individual party things. This is just so good in the red-black party deck because it helps turn all your party stuff on again. Next up, we got Cleric of Chill Depths. It's fine, whatever. I don't really care. Uh, Skyclave Sentinel, fine in the kicker deck. Expedition Champion, pretty solid in the Warriors deck. It's also good in multiples if you can get a, a handful of them in any of the decks. Vanquish the Week. What are we on right now? Blood Beckoning or Vanquish the Week or Practice Tactics? It's I mean, most people would probably tell you Vanquish here. I yeah. think I like Blood Beckoning more. I, I, weird as it is to say. I, I'm, I think I'm on Vanquish, but it's it's close as well. I, I definitely want one Blood Beckoning in every black deck, but I think right now the the removal spells are getting taken higher than Blood Beckoning. Like, I've seen Blood Beckoning wheel, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen a Vanquish or a Deadly Alliance wheel, so I, I think I'd want to pick up the removal spell here first because I expect I'm going to be able to get Blood Beckonings later. That's true. Yeah, I, I've gone down on Vanquish, but um, yeah, I've been playing two Blood Beckonings uh, in some of my slightly lower creature count, like party decks. And when I have a good number of creatures, then I, sometimes I'll still play two. But I, I think I'm I just like Blood Beckoning too much. All right, next we have a Seagate Colossus, which has found a decent home in the party decks. I think I play this one more often in black red than than blue white though. Yeah, I think it's it's a nice little top end for the black red decks. Our last comment is Ghoul Draws Mucklord. So we're probably on Vanquish the Weaker Blood Beckoning, but uh, I hate to tell you, we've got <laughs> we've got something else here. We got a Roost of Drakes as our first uncommon. Yeah, uh, totally passable. F, never play it. <laughs> uh, have you actually had this cast against you, or have you cast this yet? Have you ever kicked both. it by chance? I've, yeah, I've had both happen a few times, and uh, I love playing it, and I hate being on the receiving end of it. Yep, it's awesome. 
one roost of drakes is a, an awesome win con by itself but especially when you get to pack one pick one it like we're doing now then you just get to take all the kicker cards all your kicker cards just make drakes and then eventually you might be able to get in the uncommon the signpost uh low mage is familiar start gaining life too Jeez. all right we've also got a kargan war leader it's the red white uncommon a human warrior it's uh the warrior lord i like this card i, I love my red white nonsense right and uh I'm still taking Rooster Drakes over it, oh, but of course, we, yeah. here we've got Akum Warrior. It's a good it's MDFC. The, uh, I, I like Akum Warrior. It's a great top end, and it's it's one of those MDFCs that fits well on both ends of the spectrum. It's a great land early, and then it's a great late game play. I'm still on Rooster Drakes, but it's it's a good card. Well, this is going to be quite the pick. We got a, a nice full art planes and a cat token, but our rare is Inscription of Ruin. That's two and a black for a sorcery with kicker two black black and you can choose one and if it was kicked choose any number have you ever not chosen all three in these inscriptions i don't I know why cast I one, actually really oh i mean i have occasionally died with one of these in hand unkicked because on their unkicked side they're not actually that appealing so this one is target opponent discards two cards return target creature card with cmc two or less from graveyard to battlefield destroy target creature with cmc three or less so i mean it's a vanquish the week it's a mind rot and it's a, I don't know, reanimation spell. And I kicking actually, is, is a big swing, but... Hmm. I actually don't think the black inscription is all that great. You you compare it to the other inscriptions, and it's just, like, what does it actually do for you? You want It wants you to go late so you can kick it, but then none of its effects really do much in the late game. Like, a mind rot effect late on is usually not really doing anything for you. Killing a, what, 2CMC thing or 3CMC thing or whatever is not really great. And bringing back a 2CMC thing is not really going to do anything for you. So... I'm still on Roost of Drakes. Yeah, I think as weird as it is for me to pass a, a rare black kill spell, I think Roost of Drakes is the pick here. Although I wouldn't fault anyone for taking the inscription if they wanted to try it out. And uh, I do really like Akum Warrior, but between Akum and Roost, I'm, I'm probably on the Roost here too. Yeah, it's just way too powerful. And it has like, because of the way that the kicker spells in this set work, the, it just has such incidental upside it doesn't really cost you anything to put like you don't have to be in a kicker deck for this card to actually do work you just need like two or three kicker cards maybe four and then you're anything more than that and you're completely happy yeah like even kicking it by itself like a four mana two two flyer with like then even moderate incidental upside is, is not the worst thing in the world some people play out that angel is a is a four mana two two flying vigilance right uh yeah. anyway let's get on over to fairy and tibble yeah, so let's try to zoom through this. We are quite a few minutes into the episode already and have a lot to talk about. My Teferi this week is, uh, for those who listened last week, know that I was looking into a puppy. Uh, my wife and I are trying to get a puppy. We got one. So that's awesome. She's a border collie. She's super adorable. And I'm already in love with her and I haven't met her. So that's great. Awesome. Yeah, my Tybalt for the week, though, is that we can't pick the puppy up until October 24th because she's a bebe. Oh, uh, tiny? Yeah, she's uh, like four weeks old right now or five weeks old, so... Hey, what are the odds you can put some pictures in the Patreon feed? Oh, I could totally do that. <laughs> but uh, you better send them to me unless uh, you want me to also become a patron. I guess that, that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> My tibble this week is I'm kind of behind on grading labs. For those that don't know, I'm a teacher. I teach physics and astronomy. Yeah, I need to get on that. It's, it's starting to be bad. And with hybrid schooling, I'm worried that some of my students are starting to fall behind. It's been so tough to, to make connections with students and, and really help them uh, know where they are. And I, I work in a school where it's what we call a hide needs district, where a lot of the students are facing a lot of other challenges. So I, I have a, a, some concerns. Uh, it, it's a tough job, but uh, I will say my Teferi for the week was some of the upsides. Uh, I had two interactions with students this week that made my week. So uh, I had 
I had uh, one student who was really struggling in class and I couldn't really figure out why. So I was talking to her and I found out it just doesn't speak English that well. Uh, and this is something I found out only after like talking to her individually through webcam. Turns out she speaks Urdu. So I just pulled up Google Translate and I was like, all right, let's see what we can do. And uh, she was ecstatic because no teacher had ever tried doing this before. And the second thing that happened, I got a text from uh, a teacher that was talking to a parent saying that this one student in one of my classes who's been like expelled a bunch of times from other schools, apparently she comes home every day and talks about how she loves my class. And that was just the best thing in the world to hear. Oh, that's great. So it, yeah, rough job, but a uh, fun job as well. We, we got a few listener questions this week. So Mixu asked, when I'm the beatdown player and I've got my opponent low, but they've got the board at parity, say 3-2 versus 3-2 and both players hellbent or heckbent, my default is to not attack unless I have a reason to. Yeah, I kind of agree there. Some reason might be uh, I have another creature in hand that I can get in if the board is clear or I have a, a threat and need two bodies in the yard or something like that. What kinds of things would you think about when making that decision if you don't actively have a play in hand? About attacking, I presume. So in both cases, you're hoping to outdraw the opponent. What cases would give you more outs to outdrawing your opponent versus trade or not? So I think ultimately the question here is you're at parity, right? You have one or two creatures and they have one or two creatures or you both have one creature out and your opponent is low life total and you're trying to close the game out. Personally, as with most things in Magic, I find that this is pretty context dependent and that might sound like a bit of a cop-out to the question, but I swear it's not, right? Like When I'm in a situation like this, I think about my deck's plan and how I'm trying to win. Presumably beating down, because we got to this point already, right? But what things are still left in my deck? I, I recommend like actually thinking about what cards are in your deck or taking a screenshot of your deck so you can look at or using a deck tracker. Um, for example, if I trade off, but then I have like a removal spell that I top deck or a combat trick that would let me win in that fight... I'd feel pretty bad about my choice to trade. So I think the intuition to not attack here is good, uh, as most limited decks have things that can punch them through, like removal or that kind of thing. Uh, and especially in this format, where we have bounce and removal and big hasty threats, those are some of the, the biggest things to consider. Yeah, I think uh, playing to your outs is kind of what, what most most players call that, right? Thinking about what, what cards are in your deck, what gets you out of the situation. And I think something McShu is kind of leaning into here is if you were the beatdown, you're probably expecting that your opponent has better top end than you do, right? Beatdown decks tend to have a lower curve. They tend to want to play their stuff out fast and just get your opponent dead. And if you're if you're not playing against the beatdown deck, then they're going to have, on average, better draws than you do. So I think that can kind of lead you to rush into attacks. And Magic is a game that favors blockers because... You can double block, you can make things more favorable for yourself if you're the one who's responding to to aggressive aggressive action like that. So, you know, you're saying maybe they're heck bent, right? Like they might have one card in hand. If that card is a combat trick or some removal spell, you might actually like really, really not want to attack there. It might be really, really terrible for you to attack. And I think generally keeping that standstill until you find a card that breaks your parity is kind of what you want to do there. I don't think rushing into attacks is, is a good idea. Kind of the way that you're describing here, Mixu. Like, you might have another creature in hand that you can get in if the board's clear. Maybe you do want to make that trade, but you have to also consider, like, do they do they make the trade? Can they afford to take that three damage right now and hope they're going to top deck something better so that they can beat you? It's, it's a lot to consider, and I think Ben's right when he says that the context really matters, but in general, I would probably want to wait out to see if I could draw something to break parity before just swinging my creature in. Especially when you consider that a lot of the ways beatdown decks can win from the situation is like top deck two creatures and then full swing when your opponent has just gotten unlucky and drawn two lands, right? Mm -hmm. Then uh, that kind of swings it back in your favor. 
Whereas if you trade it off and then remember your creatures, like you said, because you're the beatdown deck are a, a bit less quality than theirs. Like if you trade off and then all of a sudden uh, they draw a 5-5 five, five and slam it, then you're looking at your top decks like, well, even my best top deck creature might not be enough. Like now they're going to be able to start developing a board and, and eventually attacking me back down. I've actually had a lot of games of this format end at very low life totals for both players. Have you noticed that too? Yeah, it's pretty common, I would say, because there's like a an interesting dynamic here where like every deck is kind of a beatdown deck, except maybe clerics, right? Like you're always trying to chip damage in and just sneak out the win with like your one or two card combo or something. Uh, I say combo loosely, obviously, I'm not talking about like your traditional combos. So that actually, you mentioning clerics leads me into our next question. So Sirkovitz asks, saying bannings are so common recently. Uh, if you could, what card in Zendikar Rising Limited would you ban? And uh, this again, is a great question. Also, yeah, real fast, shout out to Sirkovitz. Just as far as I know, just recently started writing for CFB Pro. Uh, so check him out. He, he's been posting stuff in our Discord and he's got some good insights on the game. So definitely check out. Oh, yeah, great. Stuff. Very good data data analysis. My, my, my type of stuff, right? In this case, I kind of hinted at this, but Cleric of Life's Bond. I just see this thing on turn two and I just groan because I know I probably can't beat it. I'll look at the stuff in my hand and be like, all right, well, this kill spell doesn't actually hit it once it starts growing this big. And then like this isn't going to be able to get around it. And they're also gaining life and getting counters anyway. I, I think it's a bit of a snowball-y card. It's, it's a fair card. It, it's not broken. But mm-hmm. I would enjoy this limited format more if it didn't exist. That's <laughs> How fair. about you? Yeah, I think uh, I I don't really have a strong answer for this question. I think this format is very well balanced. Even like most of the rares aren't really bombs. Like it's very poppery, but it's still fun. So I'm a big fan of the format overall. I think probably Roost of Drakes just because enchantment removal is not. And maybe it's because I've been playing a lot of Premier, but like enchantment removal is not something I'm main decking. So when I do play against a Roost of Drakes deck, I just lose, right? Like there's nothing I can do about it. So maybe Roost of Drakes. Well, now... It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Time to get into our main topic this week. Welcome to Zendikar Flavortown. This is going to be your destination for all things fun in both form and function. Obviously, Zendikar is an incredible plane, and we want to take some time to appreciate stuff like the art and the flavor text and the design of some of our favorite cards in this set. But we, we like to keep things a little bit relevant, so we want to talk about them in the context of the limited environment. So what our updated thoughts on them are, now that we've gotten to try them out and play them a little bit. Think of this episode as us talking about a handful of particular cards we thought stood out to us for either uh, gameplay or context or flavor reasons. So we've each picked five that we want to talk about and highlight. Shall I start us off? Yeah, go for it. All right. So the first one on my list should be pretty obvious to anyone that knows Zendikar and flavor and that kind of thing. What about Cargan Intimidator? So this is one in the red for a 3-1 human warrior, and it has the famous line, cowards can't block warriors. So this was first on Boulder Intimidator from ages ago. And I've seen this card get roasted a little bit for kind of copying off the old flavor and, you know, not really doing anything new with it. But personally, I think that's okay because it's introducing an entirely new crop of players to this. A lot of people are seeing this for the first time and they'll look at it and just go, wait a minute, that's awesome. Like, that's so cool. And naturally, it has some warrior synergy. It has like pay one, choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn. You can give it plus one, plus one. You can make a creature into a coward, or you can give a warrior trample. So it does everything warriors want to be doing. It attacks, it beats down. And finally, it turns your opponent's creatures into cowards. And if you haven't activated this, you haven't lived. Like just looking across the board and saying that creature is now a coward. 
cowards cannot block my warriors. It's it's just so much fun. Yeah, I've seen this card played in a variety of settings, and I love when they're like Kargan Intimidator. Make your I had I had a game actually not in limited but in standard where they made my questing beast a coward, and I'm just like, what what's happening here? <laughs> It, it 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 evokes the flavor that I love of nonsense and also fun. I didn't uh, just this past weekend while we were playing Commander over some spell table. I'm pretty sure as I was attacking someone, I, I said cowards can't block warriors, right? It but it had nothing to do. With, like this card was just not even on the table anywhere. It was just you're just you. No, but it's just a magic meme, which makes yeah, it, it so good. As for its actual playability in the format, I like it. I, I'm. Maybe not first picking it over the best removal spells, but I definitely take it pretty highly if I want to get into the Warriors deck. It's probably like a B or a B plus, right? Yeah, it's a decent reason to get into that deck. I mean, if your whole deck is Warriors, like you make their opponent's creatures just not able to block, period. The first time I, th- I read this card, I thought that you could activate the plus one plus one on any Warrior, and then I realized it was just him. So mm-hmm. this thing will often trade off for like a three or four drop, but that's pretty good for a two drop, right? You can also mess around with what opponent's creatures can block, uh, so you can kind of force a trade if you have to. Uh, so my so, first, my first one yeah, is uh, Skyclave Pickaxe. If only for the flavor or, or the flavor text alone, it's just it's just too good not to bring up in a in a flavor episode. So Skyclave uh, Pickaxe is the the green ar- artifact equipment that uh, has landfall plus two plus two, and obviously it's not like the most amazing card ever. Most decks don't really want it, but the flavor text is just for use on cliffs and other faces. And I, I just love that. It's just too good. The, the play on words with like cliff face and uh, it's just it's just so good. Yeah, that's brilliant. And uh, how have you actually been finding this card? I don't think I've cast it. I played it in one deck early on in the format and it's just, I think it's just too feels bad when it's a one mana artifact that doesn't do anything if you can't find lands and then it costs three mana to equip and then still doesn't do anything if you can't find lands. Like, you really need like a uh, a root grazer to make this card playable. I think you you need to reliably hit your land drops, and if you can't, it's just not worth a slot in your deck. Yeah, I guess you need two things to go right, right? Like you need to have a creature on board that your opponent doesn't remove, and then you mm-hmm. also need to be able to hit the land drops, and that's that's kind of asking for a lot. It's asking for you to be playing both creatures and lands pretty consistently. Yeah, right, and it just feels too bad. You, this is not a card you want to pay three mana to equip. Exactly. So my second one is Canyon Jerboa. I like this little guy. Uh, go check out the the art and the alt art. They're both adorable. To be honest, I don't actually think the mechanics from Zendikar are that flavorful on their own. Like Kicker, it doesn't have flavor attached to it. And like the double face cards in the set, they don't have flavor attached to it. Not in the same way that say like a Zendikar or uh, like an Innistrad werewolf transforming does. Like that's just awesome design. Whereas here, it's a land on one side and then like a creature that lives in that land on the other. It's like, okay, I get it, but it's not exciting. Not in in any of the other ways. But that being said, I think that there are still some good examples of these mechanics being used flavorfully. And I think the Jerboa is a good one. So here we have an example of something actually representing action, right? It's a land enters the battlefield. And I almost picture in my head that as a little rock is floating past my, my battlefield, the little Jerboa hops off, and that's like the, the noise that triggers an echo down the canyon, and then a stampede starts coming, right? This actually kind of tells a story to me, and I'm sure other people might have different interpretations, but unlike something like the Scythe Cat or the, the Felidar, which just get counters from Landfall, like, not exciting, but the Jerboa, this one does it for me. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I I have this is going to hopefully not make too many people sad to think about, but whenever I think about the Canyon Jerboa on the battlefield and a land hitting and and doing the same the whole stampede thing that you're describing, I get the same image, but I literally play back the scene from The Lion King where Simba's in the middle of the, Me too. the canyon <laughs> and all of the uh, antelope are like steamrolling into the place. Like that is what this little guy does. This guy killed Mufasa. <laughs> so hey, I, I don't know if I, oh come on <laughs> I, I don't know if i love him or hate him for that but it's just a great card i wish the flavor text had something to do with lions because that would have just been or like felidars that would have been just too much uh yeah it would have been hilarious but yeah such a cute little card first mouse that is in like a real set which is cool yeah, yeah that's true there were mice tokens from a few times ago i don't think we have enough for mouse travel yet though sadly we'll get there it also kind of looks like a to me, it looks like a sugar glider, which I know you're a fan of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, from middle school me would have gotten giddy over a, a, a chance at owning a Canyon Jerboa. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that was my second as well. Do you want to just go on with your third? Oh, yeah, sure. I actually have Tangled Florahedron. This one, it's a, the modal DFC. It's a tapped green mana source on one side, and on the other side, it's one in the green for a 1-1, and it's a little hedron mana dork. I love this little guy. This one is an art appreciation post. And, and also the flavor that goes with it. Zendikar, for those that haven't played since the last one, or the one before it, Zendikar got pretty messed up by the Eldrazi, these big, colorless, eldritch horrors. And they are known for sucking the color out of stuff, right? Like any place the Eldrazi go to turns to wastes, which is colorless. Uh, we had the, that colorless land that represented that. To me, this kind of represented like the regrowth of Zendikar, which I thought was pretty sweet as as an actual playable card like this is an actual two drop mana dork this is going to see play for a while mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what's up i was gonna say i have a soft spot for like uh like robots in nature i don't know if anyone has seen what was that i think it's the overwatch trailer with bastion uh from oh, ages yeah. ago yeah. fantastic i love that and, and this yeah. kind of reminds me yep this reminds me of that you know i never actually looked at at uh tangled florahedron that way but I'm totally getting those vibes now that you mentioned it. That's that's really cool, yeah. Yeah, it's just something peaceful about a robot chilling in nature. So for me, my number three on this list, and I, I didn't really put these in any particular order, but Lol Mage is Familiar is just my absolute pet card for this set. Like, it doesn't get any more me than this card. It's like a cute little blue, like, pupper thing. <laughs> and, like, it, he's, like, the friend of some mage. I don't really know what a Lol Mage is. I guess it's somebody who, like possesses people or like lulls them into a false sense of security or something given I like lull mage's domination i'm pretty sure it's lulls the role but i guess that oh that's true maybe it, maybe they can lull anything i don't well, know the flavor text for lull mage's domination is like it basically says like ju- i can i can calm the royal i can calm people too or something it's you know it's like something along those lines okay. so you're, you're, you've got it right but yeah i think like just, this little thing is just so cute and it's like it's a mana dork that also gains you life and like wants you to be synergizing your deck with other things. It's super playable and limited. The flavor text is kind of on point as well. Like, I don't know. There's just everything about this card is amazing. I found this to be a pretty key piece of the blue green kicker deck. Like I, I kill this on site if my opponent's playing blue green kicker. Yeah, you definitely want to. I mean, you don't need the card to make the deck work, but if you do have it, it makes the deck work so much better. It'll often just be one of the best cards in the blue green kicker deck, right? It's both enabler and small payoff not yeah. the biggest payoff in the world but two life every turn if you're starting to kick stuff in the late game that adds up quick well i think i think it's actually more than that right like you gain life per yeah you gain two life per kicked spell sure mm-hmm. but it also ramps you into those kicker spells and it's a two four so it blocks well enough to save you more than two life 
Yeah, that's true. I guess it really does everything that you want it to. And as a 2-4, not a lot can attack through this. Or if anything, it'll trade for like a card and a trick, which is pretty great. Yeah. And the only only downside I have, the only gripe I have with the flavor of this card is, and may, maybe this is just me being too pedantic, but like it's a 2-4, so it's at least kind of big. And it fits in that little tote bag. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Maybe he's just more powerful than I expect. And the, the flavor text kind of plays into that it says that he like stores energy in like these special organs so maybe he's got a lot more going on but that would make me think it's supposed to be like a four two not a two four interesting yeah i've always kind of wondered about like power and size and that kind of thing like for example i don't know champion of the parish for example a a human that serves as a one one but anytime a human comes in it gets bigger it gets a counter on it so if i played a champion of the parish and then 15 humans and then attack into an emrakul is that human taller than Emrakul? Is that how that physically yeah, how does works? Power work? Is it just more powerful than Emrakul? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Even still, how does like 15 other humans showing up make one human better than... You know what I mean? Like, how does that actually work? Really old. Yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's interesting. I've never really thought about that. But I do like to think about like how the, the actual developers of the game, the, the play design team, like how do they come up with the numbers for power and toughness? Like, most of them seem to me kind of arbitrary, but they all fit into the set well enough to make things work. So it can't actually be arbitrary, right? I mean, Cherix would tell you it's arbitrary, but... <laughs> now that I think of it, a grizzly bear is a 2-2. Everyone knows that, right? Is this thing able to deal as much damage as a grizzly bear and take as much damage before dying as two grizzly bears? <laughs> is, that, is that what this implies? Yeah, but if that's the case, if we're looking at it like that, then it also is able to take as much punishment as Omnath. And that thing's like very tall and very powerful. Yeah, he's got like four whole types of mana in him now. That's or true. It, I guess I don't. I don't know if there's a gender associated with Omnath. Who knows? Yeah. I, I'm I'm excited for when it because it, it just keeps getting. It. First, it was green, and then it got wet. Right? Oh no! Mm. Then it, it got lit on fire. Right. Then it got wet, and now it got holy. I guess it, it went yeah. out. It went out in the sun a little bit, and then next next Zendikar set, it's going to go back into the shade. I'm wondering what the next one's going to be. I, I'm terrified of what Santa will look like then. Maybe five different pips will be uncastable, but it'll. I don't know. Oh, I it hope. won't be. There's no way. It'll be like exactly what it says now, but then it'll also like res one of your creatures from the dead and then also kill one of their creatures, like something stupid that Black does. It's just like every every activated ability on Kenrith, except it all just happens on the first landfall trigger. Yeah, exactly. You don't even have to work for it. It's just like, hey, you played this card, get all these things. Oh, yeah. you play the land, get all these things. So next up, I've got Crawling Barons. So I love Manlands. Uh, I think they're super flavorful on their own. And I, against many people's advice, I play one of each of the two color pairs in my modern Obzon deck. I have literally one of each of them. And they all enter the battlefield tapped, but they have won me so many more games than I deserve. Like sometimes you'll just one for one against the control deck for a while and then fire up your shambling vent and start getting in there or i don't know you, you, you somehow manage to prank someone with your hissing quagmire when they attack in with their big goif i don't know i haven't played modern in a while i don't know if goif is still playable <laughs> but like i said this one seems to represent zendikar recovering because it, it's colorless right typically in zendikar we see the the colored ones like celestial colonnade was has a gorgeous alt art in in this set as the box toppers i believe box toppers are promo cards or special I don't like know. expedition things yeah yeah this one, I think, kind of represents that the Eldrazi were... Well, they did their thing. They wiped it all out. They made it all colorless. And the art kind of shows that. It's pretty desolate. But Zendikar's starting to get back up and get moving again and start lumbering around like it likes to do. 
And I've actually found this card to be very, very strong. This is one of my favorite cards to first pick in this format. Again, I've won so many more games than I deserve because I'm able to just fire this up in the late game. It's a mana sink. You don't even have to make it into a creature if you don't want to open it up to, say, sorcery speed removal spells. So you can activate this on your opponent's end step while holding up like an Into the Royal or something. And then never even have to open it up to, to any vulnerability. You just wait until your turn and then swing in with like a... I, I've attacked with this as an 80. Like this is awesome for a land. Yeah, it's a great little mana sink too. Like you said, you don't have to make it a creature. So you can just dump your mana into it and eventually we will win you the game. Also like Mixu said earlier, I found a lot of games where I have like a 2-2 and my opponent has a 2-2 and someone's at low life. Well, you know what's pretty good in that case? A land that's also an 80. Yeah. Pretty good. It's like an honorary MDFC. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. It's an MDFC with extra steps, right? Yeah. So my, my fourth card on the list is Into the Royal, which you actually mentioned there at the end. This is just like, A, it's it's a throwback, right? It's been printed, I think, in every Zendikar set. Is that true? Or at least every every block? I think the last one was blue-white instead. It was it was something it was like something similar, though. I'll try to find it. Yeah, I, I can't quite remember, but it, it's, a, it's a mainstay for Zendikar sets. Like, everybody thinks into the Royal Zendikar. Like, they just go hand in hand. And the the kicker theme, the ability to bounce a thing for tempo and draw a card is just really, really my speed. It's also instant, which is also my speed. And the flavor text this time around, I think, is really cool because it, it kind of matches the whole, like, Royal Mage thing where, the, in my head, they're, like, you know, really, really intelligent and they're working to, to de- like, defeat the Royal, basically, which is just like a massive storm in the middle of the freaking land like they're they're trying to calm nature itself and i can imagine like some scholar trying to explain this to somebody who is like maybe a little less scholarly or like a new like a maybe they're tutoring somebody or whatever and they're like in theory the death of the eldrazi should have stilled the royal and then they like pause for a little while and they're just like it did not right like <laughs> i don't know it's just it, it, something about it strikes a chord with me i, I don't know classic blue flavor text right yeah well, actually, there's a the, the drawn a silencer in this set. A quick little honorable mention, I guess. The the flavor text is just hush, and I think yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That should be on a counter spell or something. Yeah, that that's awesome. I'm pretty sure doesn't a doesn't anti-cognition have have a good uh flavor text too? I don't remember what it is. Let it just says it I think not. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty good. I, I was thinking it must. I, I remembered it also had like a nice little quip on it. So yeah. I think not, or I think. You get, there's you no, get there's no punctuation in it, so it's just I think not. But I, I know, yeah, I know what you're going for. Yeah, they, they, they had something clever going on there. Last on my list is a group of them, uh, the alt art cards. So these are ones that you can open in the packs, and you can open them in the special packs, and you can open them all over the place. But they're the ones that have the, I guess, adventure border. I think they're calling it. It, it almost looks like a travel destination thing. Uh, my favorites from this are Spitfire Legac, Lotus Cobra, uh, the Celestial Colonnade one that's in the uh, expeditions, I believe, and uh, Windswept, Windswept Heath, also in the Expeditions, by Johannes Voss, I believe, who's one of my all-time favorite magic artists. Just Same. absolutely fantastic stuff. And I saw someone put on Twitter a foil of that Windswept Heath. Oh, man. I want one of those. It's, it's awesome. It has this really cool like cross symbol in the middle with like the sunlight. Just excellent. And I'm a big proponent of adding different variants of cards and magic, which is why I've really loved the, this trend towards adding these things. Do I like that that are only really available consistently in like the more expensive boosters. Not particularly, but I do like that they're doing these for commons and things that you know I could potentially make some kind of fun little casual deck out of. Uh, I did actually once make a $20 full art only, textless card only deck, 
And oh, I remember people hated me for that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't sound too fun. Although I'm over here with my like textless foiled uh, cryptic commands. I can't really talk. Yeah, yeah. I think it's cool that magic is starting to give us more choices as to, you know, how we actually play our decks. I think choice is really important. And as for these specific cards, Spitfire Legac, I found to be medium. It's like a C, maybe a C minus. I, I, it usually doesn't make the cut in my more aggressive red decks. Lotus Cobra is probably up there in the B zone. I have first picked removal spells over it, but it does what you want it to. It's a mediocre top deck in late game, though. Celestial Colonnade uh, would obviously be broken and limited, and uh, we won't even talk about Windswept Teeth. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of these alt art cards, too. I agree with you 100% that having more options to kind of bling out your deck is really, really great. Like, foil doesn't always do it for everybody. And, like, for me, the extended art cards, the ones that still kind of have a frame, but the art just goes past the frame, those are, like, chef's kiss to me. Like, I love those. They look so good. And I wish, actually, like, every card just looked like that. But Yeah, it's a good default. Right, but you know it's nice to see all these extra things. The new frames that they're trying out, the new foiling techniques that they're trying out. I like it. Uh, there's not really like anything wrong with them doing it, and it's not cutting into the typical like draft experience. You can still just open all the same boosters that you used to, and not really care about those things, and you'll still occasionally get some. Like that's fine. I don't really like that they are putting them all in premier like extra products, and I think they have too many products in general. But that's a different discussion. The only one of those alt arts that I don't like is Brushfire Elemental. It just, it like doesn't look even remotely like the original, whereas all the other ones kind of resemble the original thing. Like the Brushfire yeah. Elemental in the actual, like the, the main draft booster, like official card looks so much different than the alt art Brushfire, Brushfire Elemental that at a glance, I can't even tell they're the same card. Yeah, the alt art just kind of looks like a big dude. It's not bad art, but I think Brushfire Elemental, the other one, is just a bit more evocative what the card feels like to play it. Like, exactly. you just you smack in. It's a raging fire that's also attacking as Elemental. But the one and the other one kind of looks more like like looming, almost, you know? Yeah, like a guardian. It doesn't look like it's supposed to be aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I do like that cool, like, halo it's got going on in the background. That's though. true, that's, yeah. That's, that's yeah the, don't get me wrong. The art looks amazing. It just doesn't match well enough to the actual card that I, that, that I would have mm. expected. Looks more like an Obzon card or something like that. Yeah. So my my last, well, technically, I guess my last one is Cleansing Wildfire. This kind of wins the Art Appreciation Award for me. It just looks beautiful. It's got that one little plant that's growing with the rest of the fire just laying waste to the background. I think it's so, so good. Yep. And it also, kind of like you said, with Tangled Florahedron, this is kind of interesting, the way, the way our art appreciation picks kind of have the same sub-theme, but... It also is the exact story of what Zendikar went through. It got completely ravaged by the, the Eldrazi, completely destroyed, and it's being rebuilt. And I think that's awesome. It's uh, kind of recovering from the ashes of maybe the worst plague, if you want to call it that, that the, the multiverse has seen. I don't know if you'd put... Actually, it's a good question, Ben. Do you, and also to the listeners, let us know in the Discord, are <laughs> the Eldrazi a bigger threat than the Phyrexians? Ooh, that's tough. I want to say... Yes, because I, I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with the Eldrazi. Uh, they remind me of jellyfish, for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Emrakul being the, the queen jellyfish of all. And uh, this is something that, that Zach knows about me. I hate jellyfish. Like, something about them just really pisses me off. <laughs> like, the fact that they don't have brains, but yet they're, they're, they still just go around, like, hurting people indiscriminately and, like, just eating things. Like, chaos wrapped up in a little squishy ball 
that every time I go to the beach, I have to like, be like, oh, great. There's another one. They're bigger this year than last year. And it's like the size of a dinner plate. Like, <laughs> what's the point? You're a useless animal. Just go extinct. Or <laughs> fulfill a better niche in the ecosystem. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, let, me, let me refocus here. Eldrazi have awesome flavor. I remember the first time I saw the card, It That Betrays. I, I, I was like, oh, wow, this game is cool. Like, I, I want to play this game. And it kind of got me hooked because they have this foreboding presence. Whereas the Phyrexians, they're menacing in a different way. And we haven't heard from the Phyrexians in a while. I know people were getting a little sus at, uh, what was it, like Icor Wellspring, I think. Mm-hmm. It got printed with like a Ixalan art on it. And people were thinking, hold up, what's going on? Are the Phyrexians setting their eyes on Ixalan? Are we going to have a return to Ixalan with like, oh my God, robo dinosaurs? <laughs> oh, hold up that that could be something See, uh, wizards are to use it quick quick tangent that i want to bring back into the main thing but that's something that kind of that sparked up this type of episode like the flavor in magic is so rich that they do things like that like they'll put little hints into random card releases that actually play out into the lore somehow and mm-hmm. you might not figure it out for a while they might not reveal their big secret for quite some time but eventually, we're going to get back to Ixalan, and we're going to figure out if that actually meant something or not. Yeah, that's true. And Karn was doing some stuff with uh, Mirrodin and, like, New Phyrexia or whatever, I think, uh, at the end of Dominaria. Yeah, Dominaria. I think you're right. Do you remember back in Shadows Over Innistrad when they had the clue tokens, and people were still trying to figure out if it was really the Eldrazi that were coming? No one knew yeah. for sure at that point. People started to notice little things in the cards uh, Thraben Inspector is inspecting something that looks kind of like Eldrazi webbing, but no one noticed for sure. Um, I think there was like a there was a horse in that set, some kind of like Dusk mm-hmm. Charger. It might have literally been called Dusk Charger. That might be the Exxon one, though. It was a horse that had like an extra limb that no one noticed until like afterwards. And the thing I remember the most was that I remember when someone spotted the clue tokens that were from that set. If you looked at the different uh, words, you could pick out a word from each clue token and spell out, remember they came as three. Yeah, dude. And oh my gosh. When the internet figured that out, like everybody just blew up. Like that was, was one of the awesome. coolest things that has happened to Magic in a long time. And we were like, oh wow, the Eldrazi are coming to Innistrad. And then- And then the very next set was, was Eldrazi. It was great. Yeah, like a week later, they spoil Emrakul looming over Innistrad. That was, that was awesome time in Magic flavor. Yeah, this man. is, I'd say, a bit of a lull, um, especially I think with the- the defocus on story within the last few sets. Again, mm-hmm. I, I still don't know what happened on Ikoria. Neither do I, but they, they did start it back up in the way that was, I mean, it's not the books, right? But we'll take what we can get. They're, they're mm-hmm. publishing the free installments of the story throughout spoiler season and, and throughout the rest of the, the actual main season. And it sounds to me like they've actually done, a, the writers recently have done a good job. I've saw some people on Magic Twitter freaking out about character development actually being a thing in the, this most recent one, so... Hmm, I guess I got to get caught up. I liked the ones that I read so far. And I got to say, the cinematics are always fantastic. Yeah. Uh, one last honorable mention I wanted to make here is a Scoot Swarm. And this is just funny because like when it when it was initially kind of revealed, everybody freaked out that like this game is going to break. Uh, th- this card is going to literally break arena because it, it kind of mm-hmm. does. And with it coming to mobile and stuff, Scoot Swarm was a really weird card to print. But yeah. in, in the flavor text, I, I think Watsi knew exactly what they were doing, because in the flavor text, it just says survival rule 782. There are always more scoot bugs. 
Like once he knew there are always more they're coming. They they were aware that people were going to go infinite with this. And I've actually found this to be pretty great and limited too. Yeah. I've never actually seen it or drafted it myself, but it definitely sounds like Mm -hmm. a good card. It's a, it's not a three drop. You want to wait and play this on turn six before you play your sixth land. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because once you get to, I mean, how many removal spells deal with both of these? There's a, the, was it Cinderclasm? I believe. That's yeah. really all, all you can do. And of course, if you have any way to buff multiple things, like if you do this and like kicked vines of Vastwood or whatever that thing is, or Vastwood Resurgence, or mm-hmm. I forget, the Vastwood card, that game over. It's it's awesome. Vastwood Surge, yeah. That's yeah. um. It's also like the the how do I word this? The most recent attempt at a Polyraptor pr- reprint, right? This is the closest they've gotten oh, to, right. to Polyraptor being a card since Polyraptor. Yeah, is this a fixed Polyraptor? Not that Polyraptor was broken. I, I broke it. I mean, I'll say. <laughs> so it, it was breakable. Let's put it that way. It wasn't actually yeah. a broken card, but you could break it in certain situations. And I think Scoot's Farm's the same. Mm, for sure. Well, everyone, thanks for coming with us on this trip through Zendikar Flavortown. If you enjoyed this, let us know. If not, let us know too. Uh, we love talking about this kind of stuff because honestly, this is one of the reasons that magic is as successful as it is, I think. Uh, the, the ability to show emotion and and growth and things like this through cards through design this game would not have the same appeal if cards didn't have art on them if they had no text if they had nothing else i i love playing warriors because it's warriors holding swords right and and i love playing my bruna deck uh my, my bruna commander deck because it's a giant angel smacking down for a million zach has an awesome krenko deck that floods the board with little goblin tokens that kind of thing doesn't stay the same without this awesome art and flavor i think it's important to be able to appreciate that every now and again i'd like to do this once per set what do you think i would love it uh like ben said let us know if this is something you'd like us to continue doing if it's the type of content you would like us to keep making uh if if so and it's really popular we'll definitely keep doing it if it's not that popular we might still do it Eh, we'll we'll, we'll see how unpopular it is but um (laughs) it's a lot of fun and i think that is essentially why the commander format even became a format in the first place. It just lets you express yourself in ways that most other games don't let you do. But that's about it for us. As always, check out the Discord if you're interested. Again, link is in the episode description as well as at our Twitter page at DraftChaffPod. If you want to contact me, you can do so at RanikGalfordian on Twitter or in the Discord. You can hit Ben up at Betafish1 on Twitter. And uh, of course, you can contact the podcast either of us directly at draftchaffpod on twitter or draftchaffpod at gmail.com that'll do it for us and uh we'll see you next week have a good one everyone so that whole walking dead thing right yeah all the potential problems with that aside i just want to focus on what they're actually doing with it because printing mechanically unique non-magic flavor cards into black border magic is very very new something that I personally am not a big fan of. But again, that, all that aside, I was talking to a friend and we were saying, if Wizards is going to do this and like they're going to make all these people angry, they may as well commit to it, right? They may as well lean in and actually start printing a bunch of these. So I, I drew up some, some uh, potential oh, magic no. cards that I would like to gift to Wizards of the Coast for free. This is on the house, Wizards. Just hit me up. Uh, I have plenty more where this came from. So I want to read off some of these cards that I wrote and and get your reactions. I've got three here. So two red-white for a 3-1 warrior with first strike named Anakin Skywalker. Okay. All right. I knew we were going down Star Wars route. When he dies, (laughs) exile him and return him transformed 
And on the flip side, it's a black white five five menace named Lord Vader. That's broken. Dope. Broken uh, or what, what was the, what was the front side exactly? A three one red white warrior with first strike. No, I like it. I, I don't think I don't it's think broken. Yeah, no, I think this is. I think this is actually. This could be potentially standard playable. The only thing is, I think, I think actually, if they were going to print a card like this, and I love the flip interaction, I love the way he comes back as Vader. That's awesome. Really cool design. The only thing I think is that he would have some kind of activated ability that involves some kind of flavor with the Force. Like it would, he would have some uh, kind of activated ability where you can pump mana into him and he can do something like Force choke a creature or something, give something minus oh. two, minus two or something. Yeah, I was thinking maybe like a minus minus two minus zero. Oh. No, that's not very black. I guess like minus two. No, minus it, it would have to have potential to kill something. So it ha- if it was going to be yeah. minus anything at minus zero, it would have to be minus zero power. Mm-hmm. But it probably yeah. would just be minus two, minus two across the board. Yeah. So uh, next up, get a little more ridiculous here. Uh, three green green for a three four ogre with trample. You want to take a guess? Are we still in Star Wars land? No, no. This oh, is okay. three green green for a three four ogre with trample. It's Shrek. Yeah, it's Shrek. <laughs> and he has... Whenever a swamp enters the battlefield, draw a card and gain a life. Shrek loves his swamps. Yeah, we all true. know this. What are you doing in my swamp? <laughs> that's great. Again, uh, this isn't that much different than what's the uh, the three and a black three three that does this thing? Uh, it was from the last core set. I forget what it's called. Oh, geez. Yeah, I don't remember. Core yeah, set whatever. Cards. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think this would be pretty playable. It's a bit of a smaller body, but, you know, uh, Wizards, that one's on the house. And finally... I got a little bit creative with this one. This is no longer a property. This is more of a, uh, in case Wizards wants to incorporate real life into, oh, <laughs> into mess. So this costs blue, black, red, green. Okay, so non-white. Non-white. Blue, black, red, green for an enchantment. Not an aura, just a global enchantment, as okay. it were, called COVID-19. Oh my gosh. First of all, do you agree on the, on the color on the color identity? Yeah, it's definitely not white. I, I don't know if I don't know if it's all the other colors though. What what so why why not I just actually, black or black green? I actually I thought about this. Um, I wanted I, I it's aggressive, so red has to be in there, and okay. that, that I, I knew from the start. And black and green kind of made sense, uh, but it has to be able to to like spread and travel and and have this kind of like not intelligence to it, but. Uh, almost like a crowd intelligence, like, like a like a hive mind, almost. So I, I thought blue was appropriate. Plus, uh, just making this, um, just making it red, just making it jund seemed a bit too morbid. See, I kind of, I kind of like it with that. Like, I, I think the blue is misplaced personally. I, I don't think. Okay, there's, well, there's blue maybe you'll agree that it needs an additional. Uh, <laughs> maybe this is going to suffer from a little bit of uro symptoms when uh, when you see what it does. So. Okay. When it ATVs, you place a disease counter on a creature that you don't control. So whenever a creature with a disease counter deals damage to a creature, put a disease counter on that creature as well. And then creatures with disease counters have, at the beginning of your end step, sack this creature unless you mill to. Ooh. What do you Ooh, think? I, I think I like it. I, mm, it spreads through the around. board. I like that. Yeah. It spreads through yeah. the board. It does eventually kill you. Mm-hmm. But it's... I feel like it's almost not aggressive enough. Okay, maybe I, I was thinking about how I could make it like this is this is would be good in limited, but I feel like in in constructed this would just be a flop, right? Yeah, it needs a little some some extra oomph, right? Like like it's a actual, actual COVID nineteen like ruined things really fast. Like it swept nations in like mm-hmm. days. So yeah. I think it needs to either have it either needs to mill like 
like I guess you still want it to have the stopping power of like it will do the killing. So you want it to be like I, you could have it say like mill the top like half of your deck rounded down or something. So it never actually kills you, but it uh-huh. really wastes you fast. But but here's the thing. Um, I actually I gave the option in there for you to sacrifice the creature, which I, I thought was important. I was also thinking you could do like lose two life, but I decided to go with mill because um, it seemed flavorful. It, milling is usually representing uh, losing sanity. And I, I think everyone's kind of losing their sanity worldwide. This wrong. So I actually decided to have the option to sack because no shade to many world governments or anything, but some governments have kind of decided, yeah, maybe we could sacrifice some of the population, you know? It does seem that way. It does seem that way. I think um, I think that's, that's, that's good too because it's not that, like, it doesn't kill everybody. Mm-hmm. So also, like, you have that option, like, the creature doesn't have to die. Those that go out and get into combat are the most vulnerable, you yeah. know? Yeah, I like it. I like it. I think <laughs> uh, well, it would be interesting because magic doesn't have like like board order doesn't matter in magic. Whereas like games like Yu-Gi-Oh or um, Hearthstone or Legends of Runeterra, like the ordering that your creatures are on the battlefield actually matters. But it would have been interesting to say like the two creatures adjacent to that one also get disease counters or something like that. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, like a like a Lily Ultimate or something. Or um, there's an old card I think that involves splitting your uh, your creatures down the middle. I was thinking like uh, my my first iteration of this was it was like a, a three and a black for a sorcery that was um, like divide your creatures in half. Uh, target opponent chooses a pile, you sack that pile or something like that. Hmm. Which I think is actually a pretty reasonable design. Yeah, not I, to I, make- I like I like where you landed though. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Not to make too much light of a, you know, obviously very serious thing, but I mean, that's why we're here listening to a magic podcast, right? Uh, I've found this to be a pretty good escape from the nonsense out there. So Definitely. everyone stay safe and uh, have a good week. Yeah.